This season, get football on your time with NFL Game Pass. See all the action from every game with full game replays or replay an entire game and catch all the plays in just 45 minutes with condensed games. Go to NFL.com slash Game Pass to start your free trial today. NFL Game Pass, where football never stops. You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. Today, we are going to get started with a look at, well, Carlos Dunlap. He's not very happy with this Bengals team as he's been relegated off the top of the depth chart, according to his press conference today. Sounds like there was some communication gaffes going on in the Bengals organization, and that's where we're going to start today. We're going to talk a little bit about Lamar Jackson, who's missed two days with practice, and if you read Greg Roman's quotes, he doesn't seem very optimistic, in my opinion, that Lamar is going to play. Of course, my personal belief is that he's going to play until he's doubtful or out on an injury report. So that's where we'll start, and then we'll get into the rest of the game and get into our preview, as we always do on your Friday episode. James, we're going to start today by talking about Carlos Dunlap because if you watch the press conference, you were part of the press conference. This looked like a massive communications issue, both between the Bengals coaches and Carlos Dunlap and potentially between Dunlap and the media staff or coaches and the media staff. The Bengals media relations person on the call said we're going to do one more minute with Carlos Dunlap about five minutes into the call. Usually that comes about 10 minutes into these pressers. Looks like they wanted to get him out of there early. He was unhappy with the decision. He was confused by the decision. Not a very good look for the Bengals or Carlos Dunlap, really, as everyone is kind of looking for answers. Sure, let's start with Zach Taylor. Zach Taylor takes pride in communication and building this culture and, and wanting to really set a strong foundation for the Cincinnati Bengals organization. Well, when you have a guy who's made 102 starts from 2013 to now, has outside of two games due to injury last year, started every game uh, over that span that I just mentioned, regular season-wise, you got to talk to him before he goes into that news conference. You got to talk to him before the depth chart gets posted. And maybe that conversation happened or he thought it happened and it didn't. I don't know. But clearly it wasn't good enough. And Carlos Dunlap went in there and walked into the Bengals newsroom, uh, per se, uh, and got on the Zoom with us and knew exactly where he wanted to go, knew exactly what he was going to talk about and brought it up and was pissed off, not just frustrated. And I use frustrated in headlines and stuff. No, he was pissed off. And you could tell he was agitated. He was frustrated. And I think that some of that would have happened regardless but the lack of communication in him showing up for work, and I couldn't imagine showing up for work and finding out you got demoted. Even if it was the right decision, you, you'd want to have a conversation, not find out about it on a depth chart that was posted on the board. And so if that was the case, that's that's awful. Now, as far as the, the move itself, I, I think it makes a lot of sense, and we can get into that aspect. And, and then one more thing. I will say I, I think, and I'm just I think that they had a meeting and they were up against it, and that's why he was doing that um, as far as the one minute and, and then, all right, we got to go because we had Josh Bynes before that, and he had to go pretty quick too. Um, so I'm not sure there for 100%, but 
but but I think that was probably the case. But neither here nor there. Carlos Dunlap clearly frustrated and upset about the the Bengals' decision and lack of communication specifically. I just find it interesting because with no open locker room this year, the Bengals have total control over what players are made available to the media. And as you said, James, maybe there's just something that came up. Maybe they had to get out to practice. Maybe they had to get out to a meeting and and the premature, perceived premature end to the interview was totally unrelated to the subject matter. But I don't know how, from a PR perspective, you you let that happen with a player that's been around as long as Carlos Dunlap. And, And like you said, from a football perspective, Dunlap has had his share of struggles this year. But for a guy that's been around the Bengals as long as he has, has been good for the Bengals as long as he has, was good down the stretch last year. He said that in the offseason even, he was told he wasn't going to start at one point, and then the coaches walked that back. Uh, There just needs to be better communication with guys of his stature on this team in this locker room. He shouldn't be finding out from a posted depth chart. And you could tell that he was very upset about it. And Jake, one noteworthy Injury for the Ravens. Lamar Jackson missed his second straight practice. Like you said, first time in his NFL career that he's done so. And it was due to two things. A knee issue, which sidelined him on Wednesday. Also illness, which obviously since he's on the regular report is not a COVID-19 related thing by any stretch. But still, he's dealing with an illness. And Adam Schefter reported that neither is expected to be significant enough to sideline him for Sunday's game against the Bengals. And and that's exactly what I would expect. But Greg Roman in a ESPN report seemed very nonplussed with what was going on. And maybe it's just that they're missing reps in practice and they're not getting the install they want this week. But he kind of said, you know, it is what it is. We'll have to make do with what we've got. So I, I still expect Lamar to play until I see, like I said, on an injury report that says he's out. I would expect Lamar Jackson to play, and I would expect him to be good. They've had some issues connecting on the deep ball this year. Hollywood Brown also missed a practice this week. So maybe some aspect of the game will suffer, but Lamar Jackson, MVP for a reason. And if he plays, he will continue to pose all those unique Lamar Jackson problems for this Bengals defense. Coming up next, James, Lamar Jackson or not, it's time to preview the Baltimore Ravens, the first Ravens week of the season, this one in Baltimore. A lot to talk about when we look at this matchup. A lot to talk about when you talk about a team that was one of the better teams in the NFL last year. So we'll get into that coming up next. Help support your local businesses. Whether they're your corner stores, coffee spots, or favorite shops, local businesses have always been on your team supporting you and your community. They remember your order. They call you by name. They're always giving back, making a difference, and going that extra mile. But right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So let's be there for them. The next time you go shopping, help your team score and choose to shop at local businesses. And while you're there, look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless visa to help support your community. Because where and how you shop matters. Visa. Everywhere you want to be. Official partner of the NFL. This football season will be different in Pepsi. Is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. It's different for me as well. I'll be consuming the Bengals-Ravens game from my home in Cincinnati this weekend. Pepsi is the refreshment. You need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. 
These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football, watching. James, this Baltimore week, the Bengals 1-2-1, and one, facing a Ravens team 3-1, and one, who's not, not actually first in the division. Pittsburgh Steelers currently leading the AFC North and the Bengals, of course, in the, in the cellar right now. The, the, if the season were to end today, the AFC North would have three playoff teams and, and none of them would be the Bengals. Usually it's the Browns that we leave out of that conversation, but obviously that won't likely be the case this year if things continue as they have started. And with that in mind, I did my first mock draft of the year today, James. And I, I do a little jingle for mock drafts during the season. You know, your, your mock drafting in October is ridiculous. <laughs> it, it's, it's the dumbest thing I've ever, I mean, it's it, it just, it's, it's a, it's for fun. Right. And so it, let's talk about the Ravens instead of talking about mock drafts. Cause it's not time to start looking ahead to the draft yet. This I time love last the draft, year, but no, you can't. This time last year, it might have been time to look ahead to the draft, but but not right now. Lamar Jackson and the Ravens hosting the Bengals this week. And the biggest difference between this year and last year is no more Marshall Yonda for the Ravens. And, and Lamar Jackson, we assume he's going to play, has to deal with a shakier offensive line than he did in his MVP season. And we led the show by talking about Carlos Dunlap, right? And it, the key to me, you got to find a way in the trenches to win this week and make life hard on Lamar Jackson and try to keep him in the pocket and just throw from there. Look, Marquise Brown's fast and I like his game and a lot of people know about him, but I'm okay if Lamar is stuck having to throw the ball downfield specifically to the outside, you know, to the numbers, you know, because if he's doing that read option and and he's able to scramble a little bit and throw across the middle of the field, he's going to pick you apart. And I don't really care who you are. And and so that, to me, is the key. And I, I do wonder about Geno Atkins. He was a limited participant again on Thursday. Much like last week, I feel like it's 50-50. I don't feel great about it. I, I wanted to see a full today. And basically, at least during the open media portion, it was just some individual drills. So that's concerning, Jake, because this is the, the week where you actually feel like Geno Atkins, not that he couldn't make a difference before, but you almost need him now more than ever to deal with a headache in Lamar Jackson in this Ravens rushing attack. Yeah, the Ravens actually have pretty good tackles in Orlando Brown at the right side, who's actually been surprisingly good, surprisingly effective after awful combine testing, and Ronnie Stanley at left tackle, who might be an all-pro if he manages to stay healthy the rest of the year. He missed last week, is going to be back this week. But their interior offensive line without Marshall Yonda, is is currently featuring Tyree Phillips as a starter. You might remember him from the Senior Bowl. Wasn't very good down there. And he's actually hurt. He didn't practice on Thursday. So whoever they rolled out there, right guard, might not be very good. Their center, currently ranked 29th out of 35 centers, according to PFF. So there's a little bit of a weakness there. If you're going to point to a weakness on this Ravens offense, it's that interior offensive line. And, and exactly right, James, Geno Atkins, who has had some great duels with Marshall Yonda in their career, would certainly rather play against a guy like Tyree Phillips than, than the Hall of Famer in Yonda. And you also made a really good point, by the way, about keeping Lamar out of throwing to the middle of the field. 
That is where he's done most of his damage this year. That's where they've got Mark Andrews in there. And and he just hasn't been on the same page with his receivers outside. He's been hurt by some really bad drops. But on, on deep throws outside, he is currently 2 for 11 on the season. And Joe Burrow, yeah, we know that he's not hitting the deep ball, but but neither is Lamar Jackson when he's forced to throw to the numbers. So take away middle of the field, try to contain him. Obviously, everyone tries to contain Lamar, and he's a bit of a cheat code. Easier said than done, but but that's a blueprint. And the other thing is, James, we talked about game script earlier this week. I think that's the most important aspect of this game. If the Bengals go down early, you're going to see the same game plan we saw from the from the Browns, and, and the Ravens are just going to put it on the ground. They're going to give it to J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram all day, and then the Bengals are just going to have to get consistent stops and run defense. I agree, and there's, there's a lot to discuss when it comes to the offense and how they can kind of control things because they can make life much easier on this defense. And, and I do want to get into that later in the show, but you look at this defense – and the, the main reason I want to see Gino out there, and he's not going to be 100%, but I want to see him alongside DJ Reader with Carl Lawson, who's playing arguably and probably not even arguably the best football of his NFL career. Obviously, Dunlap's going to be in there still and get you know 55% of the snaps. He's going to be in there a lot. And I want to see this defense go up against an elite offense at full strength. And I think you could see that and, and just kind of see how it's going to be, how it's going to look with, you know, Reader and Atkins and how this secondary, which if Mackenzie Alexander, he was limited again on Thursday, if he's out there, you got him, you got Bell, you got Jesse Bates playing at a high level, obviously Sean Williams, the young linebackers that are much more athletic than the group that was in this matchup last year for the Bengals. I just want to see it. I, you know, and, and just kind of use it as a measuring stick. I don't have super high expectations. I don't think they're going to pummel Lamar and confuse him and, and whoop him like the Tennessee Titans did, for example, in the playoffs last year. But I, I would just love to see it and and see where they stack up because if you're going to win this division in the next two to three years, it's going to go through Baltimore. I think we all agree with that. And so seeing this as a measuring stick from a defensive standpoint, considering they put a lot of assets on this side of the ball – is huge, but you can only get that full picture if Atkins is out there and Alexander is out there and these guys uh, are 100% or, or, or at least playing. So hopefully that's the case. I, I would certainly um, love to be able to look at this a, as a barometer to see where the Bengals are at defensively. Barometer is a really good word. Uh, last week I talked about how I thought Jacksonville was going to be an opportunity uh, uh, to be a get right week for the Bengals offense. And I want to see if, if the Bengals are going to be an opportunity for, for the Ravens to get right anywhere. I mean, on both sides of the ball, not just when the Ravens have the ball, because the Ravens offense outside of that Kansas City Chiefs game has been pretty good this year. And if you watch that Kansas City Chiefs game, Lamar still p- played pretty well. I talked about him being hurt by some drops and that offense just couldn't get on the same page against the Chiefs. But against the Cleveland Browns in week one, they scored 38 points. Against the Houston Texans in week two, they score 33 points. Against Washington in week four, they score 31 points. And those defenses, not very good necessarily. But we're going to find out if the Bengals are also a not very good defense at this point in the season. And uh, I, I think that that's a pretty stiff test 
when you have a team like the Ravens, a really unique offense in the way they run the ball generally more efficiently than any team we've seen in the NFL for quite a while with a quarterback like Lamar Jackson, who, yeah, you want to keep him in the pocket. You want to force him to throw, but don't get, don't get it twisted. If they do that, he's still a very good passer. So you're right. I think barometer, great word. We'll find out a little bit more about where this Bengals defense is because they really haven't played great offenses this year either, despite Jacksonville being pretty productive early this year. The first six, eight weeks of the season are really good good times to learn a lot about what kind of football team you have. And that, to me, is the fun part about where the Bengals are at in general. Look, they, they made a bunch of moves this offseason. And whether you agreed with them, didn't like them, like some of them, and I understand Trey Waynes isn't out there, but if Geno's out there, you get the picture, you get the idea, you see if the vision gets them any closer and, and how close it gets them. You know, are they able to hold Lamar Jackson and the Ravens under 30 points, which right now they're averaging 30.5 points per game? I'd say no. <laughs> I don't see that happening. I think they could have a really good day defensively and Baltimore still score five touchdowns with Justin Tucker still get over that 30 point threshold just because of how good they are from a scoring perspective and the fact that their kicker can kick 58 yarders with, with no problem. So to me, they could have a really good day and still allow 34 points, but I want to see it. And I just, I want to see where this is. And these are the type of answers you need to figure out because again, when you take a long view of the Bengals, they have to win in Joe Burrow during his rookie contract. Well, that's the next three years, right? Some think it's going to be this year. I think this is more of a growing year, but 2021, you want to hit the ground running. And if you're going to hit the ground running, it goes through Baltimore, it goes through Pittsburgh, it goes through Cleveland. And I want to get a sort of a, a complete picture here of how it's going to be, because I don't really see a scenario barring some kind of significant injury where the Ravens aren't favored in the AFC North, not only for the remainder of this year, but in 2021 as well. Yeah, there's certainly some some building to do for the rest of the AFC North. And we've talked about all the challenges that this defense is going to face a pretty good offensive line. We haven't really talked too much about the weapons, but Marquise Brown, obviously very good. Mark Andrews, obviously very good. Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins, a really good tandem in the backfield. Even Nick Boyle, the backup tight end, is pretty good. There's a lot to defend. And so we are going to get a look at the Bengals against, really, I think the, the first elite offense they play this year, unless the Browns turn out to be an elite offense as Kevin Stefanski starts to figure things out up north. So a really great challenge for the defense this week to find out just how good or bad they might be at the same time the offense is going to face a significant test with this Ravens defense too from a scheme perspective from a personnel perspective especially in the secondary there's some really good players there's some really good cohesion there's some really good coaching on that side of the ball for Baltimore and we're going to dive into that matchup coming up next let's keep things rolling here on Locked On Bengals ahead of Sunday's matchup between the Ravens and Bengals in Baltimore and Jake you mentioned game script last segment and that's the key to the entire game you know whether or not Geno Atkins plays uh that that isn't it obviously the defense I'll be paying attention to how they can handle Lamar Jackson who we both expect to play all of those things but the reality is Zach Taylor in this offense they could kind of control things a little bit. If they're able to get things going offensively, which much is much, much easier said than done, 
and can play keep away from Lamar Jackson and can keep that defense resting. And that doesn't necessarily mean running the ball with Mixon, right? It can mean the, the short and intermediate passes, the long drives that we've seen. If they're able to do that, and that's a big if, but if so, that's exactly how you can beat the Ravens without being the Kansas City Chiefs because you keep Lamar Jackson off the field. You're moving the ball down the field. And, and there's a lot of ifs and factors that we can talk about it. But I, I do think that that game script and, and getting out to an early lead and being able to, being able to be patient like Joe Burrow has shown a great and, and done a great job of, I think that's huge on Sunday because the last thing you want, like you said, if you get down 7, 10, 14, nothing, and then you got to try to play catch up, that's playing right into the Ravens' hands. It's just hugely important. In these division games, you look at the entire AFC North and if the Bengals go down early against any of these teams, I just don't feel good about the rest of the game. And it just needs to be at least close early because if the Bengals are forced to straight drop back pass, it's never good. This offensive line can't handle straight pass sets on a consistent basis. Maybe they can do it sometimes. Maybe they can do okay with it, but they can't do it consistently. And I think part of the reason for that, this is a growing theory I have, James. Tell me what you think of this theory. I'm starting to think that Jim Turner cares much more about run blocking than he does about pass blocking. He, I think, designs a lot of the run game for the Bengals. And with the way that he has prioritized Mike Jordan, Alex Redman, Bobby Hart, these type of players and the strengths that those players have. Yeah, Jonah Williams is, is an all around package. You can't really argue with that. But the other guys on this line, the question marks on this line have generally been, especially in Bobby Hart's case, a little bit better in run blocking than pass blocking this year. And so because of that, it makes it so that when the Bengals go down and they have to straight pass block, they have to straight drop back. It hasn't gone well in the last, well, in the Zach Taylor era, really. And the Ravens aren't good. We've talked about their their rush. That, that's not necessarily a strength. But the last thing I want is Bobby Hart and the rest of this offensive line to have to pass block for 60 snaps and, and really leave Burrow out there because I think it's going to lead to one, a bunch of hits on number nine, sacks, and mistakes and turnovers because this secondary is just they're good we talked about them uh, earlier this week and I, I do expect them to uh, play at a high level th this weekend and, and I expect them to play at a high level each and every week so you're right though I, I didn't even think about it that way but Bobby Hart from a PFF standpoint has an over uh, over an 80 run grade this year and I think some of that and some of his success has been hidden because of how awful right guard has been up until last week due to all the injuries. But yeah, if you're Jim Turner and you prioritize run blocking and Bobby Hart has been a competent run blocker this year, then of course you're going to go out of your way to praise him. So that, that is a good point. And if that is the case, right, and this is more of a run blocking line, which when I look at Redmond checks checks that box for sure uh like you said michael jordan the same and and, and obviously bobby hart I, I think that it's you're gonna have to find a way against a really good front seven really good defense from a run perspective in the ravens they're one of seven teams in the nfl i think i mentioned this earlier that under uh allowing less than 100 yards rushing per game you, you want to get that run game going a little bit 
and uh, I think that the the short passes to Mixon are an extension of the run game. I'll count those as runs. Doesn't really matter, but you're gonna have to get that going because if you can, then it's gonna make life much much easier on this defense and make life easier on Joe Burrow. And one thing that'll make life harder for the Ravens, in addition to just getting a run game going, which is hard to do when you know you probably have to score more than 30 points to win a game. Yeah, I I guess, you know, they kind of got there last week, right? But it's hard to say, you know what, we're going to run the ball and go score 30 points in a game. And it's hard to have consistent 11 play drives. And, And that's what the Bengals have had to do this year. But one thing that might help them is we've seen this trend in week one, the Bengals near the bottom of the league in motion at the snap, and they were running the ball on second down. And those trends have totally reversed. Since then, the Bengals have moved up toward the middle of the pack in motion at the snap after being near the bottom of the pack early in the year, which means they're doing it a little bit more than average in the, in the last two weeks anyway. And they're, they're throwing the ball more on second and long, and they're not trying to get the first down every time. They've been very successful generally when passing on second and long and getting to third and manageable won't always work. But the, the point I was trying to make where I started this before I got distracted by some trends is the the motion at the snap and the reverses that they worked in last week against the defense is going to try to blitz you a lot. At least that's how they've generated their pressure so far this year. It's been corner blitzes. It's been Marlon Humphrey out of the slot. It's been, Patrick Queen, the LSU rookie on the other side, who's generally not been very good, according to PFF anyway, and and not very good in coverage, I think, from a tape perspective, but has been pretty good as a limited uh, sample size blitzer. You you do the motion at the snap, it it really makes that harder for a defense because if you're in man and you're sending man blitzes, you're showing that. You're you're showing exactly where that pressure is coming from. And Joe Burrow is going to see it because he's so good pre-snap. And James, that's why I said, bring on the blitz. When, mm-hmm. when you were like, I'm not that confident. Well, I'm not that confident <laughs> in this game. But I am confident in Joe Burrow. Yeah, he might make some mistakes. I, uh, you know what I'm going to be watching really closely? Is is a Joe Burrow-Marcus Peters chess match. Yeah. Marcus Peters, the, the, a real gambler back there. He's going to try to make plays. He's going to try to get some interceptions off of Joe Burrow. But let's see if they can catch him, right? The way mm-hmm. the way that Chiefs caught him. Let's see if Joe Burrow can manipulate him the way that Patrick Mahomes did in week three. I'm not and 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 you know, throw away the Patrick Mahomes Joe Burrow comparisons at this point, but but just keep the mental part. And, and that's what I'm looking for in that matchup. That could be really fun. It could. Absolutely. And 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 that's the test. That's what's fun here too. When you talk about the offense, look, we know the offensive line isn't great. What we know the flaw there. But how does Joe Burrow handle this, handle this beast of a team, of a defense that he hasn't seen before, uh, a coordinator that is going to dial up blitzes, uh, gambling corners? Uh, how does they, these skill players, how do they deal with Marlon Humphrey, who's going to try to force fumbles every single time they catch the ball, every single time? By the way, A.J. Green, if you start to have a breakout game, hold that ball tight. I've already had the vision. I already, he's going to have six receptions in the fourth reception you know, six receptions in the first half, the fourth reception's a fumble because Marlon Humphrey comes up on him. Like, I can see that happening. And, and so that's kind of the key. They're, they're not great at, at blitzing, or, or they're not great at getting pressure, but they will knock that ball out. One other thing, Jake, and, and the reason I think it's important to keep it close, what have the Bengals, uh, or, or to stay, get off to a good start, rather, what have the Bengals struggled to do? Push the ball downfield. Well, the, the really, the only way you're coming back against the Ravens team 
that's going to run the ball effectively and be able to move the chains and then beat you for explosives if you're down by 10 points let's say is quick strikes you're not going to be able to matriculate the ball down the field and just slowly do you're going to have to have a big play or two to get back in it whether it's a turnover on defense a big play over the top and we didn't mention this but john ross missed thursday's practice due to illness i didn't think he was going to be active anyway I don't know who's going to stretch the field. I don't know who's going to make that big play on this offense. So I, I think that's another thing worth noting. If they get down, I don't really know how they get back into it without a huge play. And not just a big play either. I, I talked about, I think it's like a Joe Burrow versus Marcus Peters matchup. That's going to be really fun. And, and then I think the Marlon Humphrey, Tyler Boyd matchup, Marlon Humphrey, one of the better corners in the league. He's going to play the slot. He's going to come in and he's going to be the guy on Tyler Boyd. Tyler Boyd, currently one of the best receivers in the NFL, according to PFF, certainly the most productive receiver on the Bengals, a guy with whom Joe Burrow has the most rapport and seems the most comfortable throwing to, especially in important spots. How's that matchup going to go? That's strength on strength. That one should be fun to watch too. So really, I'm I'm just biased right now. I'm more interested in watching this offense. Yeah, I want to watch Jesse Bates out there, see if he can continue his run a really excellent play to start the year. But, but yeah, I mean, you got Joe Burrow, right? And, and so you're talking about a litmus test for Joe Burrow, a barometer for Joe Burrow in this game. And, and that's just going to be fun. There's good matchups all over the field. So some good stuff to watch there, James, it's that time of the week, the Bengals and the few sports books that still have a line up for this game, which if you look, isn't very many. The line opened at, I think, 14 and a half points in the Ravens' favor has moved towards, I think it's about 12 now for those that still have it up. So with the Vegas line in mind, where are you coming down with your prediction for this week? This is a barometer game, like you said. It, it, you know, this is going to be a tough matchup. And the Bengals aren't going to win. I don't expect them to win, and that's okay. They're not supposed to win this game. If they do celebrate, jump for joy, Jake's going to woo. Like he said, it'd be great because I would love another woo back-to-back Sundays with Jake wooing. I don't see it happening. I think Joe Burrow's too good to get crushed and to get blown out. I think he's going to win his fair share here and keep them in the game, but it's just not going to be enough. So if that line's 14 then Joe Burrow and the Bengals, well, they beat the spread again because I have it 34 23 the Ravens win, but the Bengals hang in there and uh, only lose by 11. 11 points is still a pretty big spread for me. I, I can see that. I can absolutely see that. I could also see this being another, you know, backdoor one score game. So I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not in the business of making predictions, but I will say, I, I think somebody messaged me on Twitter today that the Bengals are currently plus 10 in Indianapolis next week. And I love that spread. I I mean, I think the Colts are just underrated right now, but we'll talk about that one a little bit more next week. Just for anybody out there, the bets, we really rarely talk about that sort of thing on this podcast, but I just happened to look today. And that just seems like a little bit too much respect for the Colts. And James, before you ask, I'm I'm not going to make a score prediction for this week. Well, of course you're not. Of course you're not. But Sunday, maybe you'll woo. Uh, But but I'll make a prediction. I have the Browns beating the Colts this week in Cleveland. 12,000 fans going to be there. So, yeah, if you like Indy plus 10 in week six against the Bengals at home, it's in Indy, by the way, then, uh, yeah, you should uh, you should take it now 
because the Browns are going to handle business against Phillip Rivers and the Colts. Yeah, I could definitely see that. The Colts haven't really played anybody this year. That's going to do it for this episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. We'll be back on Sunday after the game with your game recap, our initial takeaways from the Bengals' first matchup with the Ravens this year. Until then, Bengals fans, hootay, and have a good one.